Thank you. All right, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Good to see all of you. <sighs> After this week, I'm glad to be here. I'll tell you that. Well, today's title of the message, we're back in 2 Corinthians. The title is, What Does God's Glory Mean for Christians? As it relates to this passage. What does God's glory mean for Christians? While you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I am going to tell you a little story. Do you know that when you've been married for a long time, they, they, they say that uh, you're comfortable saying anything to your spouse, right? Well, let's find out how well that worked for a man named Danny. You see, Danny was looking in the mirror the other day as his wife, Jenny, passed by, and he said, Honey, all I see when I look in the mirror is a fat, ugly old man. I could really use a compliment. And Jenny replied, Right, well, let's see, um... You know what? Your eyesight is near perfect. Today, unlike this story, we're going to be looking at several different things, including the freedom that we have in Christ. We know that sometime afterwards, after Paul had left Ephesus, he traveled north to Troas, which was a port city. This was around AD 55, and there he had arranged to meet Titus. Um, to figure out how the Corinthians were doing. Well, that didn't go so well, and so Paul wrote this letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. I'll be reading out of the New King James to begin with. And it says, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing by. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that as Christians, when we look at the Word you have taken away the veil that we may understand the word. And so, Lord, I ask today that you would help me to communicate effectively your word to each and every person here, to each and every heart that knows you or needs to know you. God, I just ask for you to get all the glory, all the honor, all the praise 
and we will praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember nothing today, remember this. God's glory changes us, and it frees us. First of all, God's glory does change us. In 2 Corinthians 3.7, we're going to look real quick at it out of the Berean Standard, or the Berean Study Bible. And it says, If the ministry of death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at the face of Moses because of its fleeting glory, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry of righteousness? Indeed, what was once glorious has no glory now in comparison to the glory that surpasses it. For if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which endures? You know, glory, that word there is mentioned, I'd say, several times in this passage, wouldn't you? It's mentioned over and over and over. So you know what that means? It's important. That's what that means. So I looked it up. And glory in the Greek in this reference means a remarkable appearance. A remarkable appearance. When you think about God's glory, it is definitely beyond what we can ask for or think of. So that simple definition is actually the best definition there could be. Because how do you describe God's glory? You can't. God's glory is something that that must be experienced to truly be understood. You don't truly understand God's glory unless you experience His glory. Well, how does one experience God's glory? That's the next question somebody's going to ask. Listen, I'm going to tell you something important. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, then you should have experienced God's glory on that day. There was more that happened than you said some words. It went from an intellectual thing to a heart thing. And I don't mean the heart that's pumping blood around your body. I mean the inner man. And there was a presence that came with that. That was the Holy Spirit and God's glory. If you've ever had a true, what I would call, an unction of the Holy Spirit. Now this is commonly referred to uh, as the anointing or part of the anointing, which simply means to be empowered by God. Then you've experienced God's glory. You ever had those prayers where you feel like you're hitting the ceiling and nothing's getting through? Yeah, we've all had those. How about those prayers where it feels like it's going through and the power of God comes on you? You can sense it. It's almost tangible. That is God's glory. Only a part of it, though. Understand this about God's glory. We are human And as humans in these sinful bodies, these bodies that are decaying, they cannot experience all of God's glory. It's impossible. The unsaved person cannot stand to be in the presence of any of God's glory. Did you know that? And if he is, there's one or two things that will happen to the unsaved person, generally speaking. The first one is, is they surrender to God and receive salvation by faith and grace. Amen. The second one, they usually have a severe negative reaction. Uh, They turn from God. And some of them get truly angry. I mean bitterly angry. Why? Well, because they don't want to be held responsible for their sin. That's what it all comes down to. 
To believe in a God means that you're accountable to someone other than yourself. And they don't want to be accountable to anyone but themselves. And so what happens when Moses comes down the mountain and, and all these unregenerate people are there because salvation hasn't happened yet? They made Moses wear a veil over his face when he came before them because of the glory of God that shone on his face after he was on that mountain. Just seeing what he described as the backside of God, of God's glory. We'll look at that really quick in Exodus thirty-three eighteen. It says, then Moses said, please show me your glory. I will cause all my goodness to pass before you, the Lord replied. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he added, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. And the Lord continued, there is a place near me where you are to stand. Sorry, there's a place near me where you are to stand upon a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. If we go to verse, or chapter 34, verse 29, it says, Now it was so when Moses came down the mount, from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them his commandments, all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And then he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Let me tell you something. When you have been in what we used to call the prayer closet, when you have been in the presence of God, your skin may not glow, but then again it might. But people can tell that you have been with God, that you have been in prayer before the Holy One. There's a change in your attitude. There's a change in your emotions. And it can only happen in the presence of God. You know why I think most people will not spend a lot of time in prayer? Because again, I have to be accountable for my sin. And I don't like the feeling that when I come before the Holy of Holies, the Holy One of all the earth, of all the majesty, and I got to say, Lord, I have sinned against you. I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. 
severely. But once I have repented, once I have asked for forgiveness, then the glory of God can shone round about us. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. People can tell when you've been with Jesus. It is Jesus who brings life. It is Jesus' work on the cross that allows your sin debt to be erased. And it is He who brings peace between you and the triune God. He seals us with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit dwells within the believer. And when you pray, God the Holy Spirit is right there. He hears, and He listens, and He brings to life to our souls. And yes, people can tell when you have been with the Holy One. With the law came the sting of death. The law has God's glory. Oh, it does. But how much more awesome is the new covenant established in Christ's blood once for all the saints? How much more glorious is the new covenant than the old way of doing things? You can't keep the law perfectly. It's impossible. Did you know that? But thanks be to God that we don't have to, that we can be made right because there is one who did keep it perfectly, and his name is Jesus. He is the Savior of the world today, not just back then. No matter how bad it looks in our culture, no matter how irreverent our culture gets, we can stand on the Word of God that says we can have peace before the living God and see just a small part of his glory. Amen. God's glory frees us and that's what makes me so excited he frees us second corinthians chapter 3 verse 12 therefore since we have such a hope we are very bold we are not like moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the israelites from gazing at the end of what was fading away <clears throat> but their minds were closed sorry but their minds were closed. For this day, the same veil remains at the reading of the Old Covenant. It has not been lifted, because only Christ can, can it be removed. And even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces, <laughs> all reflect the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into His image with intensifying glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Folks, if you're a Christian and you look like the world, I got news for you. You're not a Christian. You're unsaved. You need the glory of the Lord. You need salvation. You need to surrender to Jesus. You see the glory on Moses' face slowly faded away over time, as was further and further removed from that event on Mount Sinai. The glory of the Christian doesn't have to. It just requires a humble heart and a life full of praise and worship to God. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. 
Because anyone who approaches him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let me ask you, oh Christian, have you been seeking God? Not because you're in need or you want something, but because your soul cries out to him and says, Jesus, I need you. I don't know how, I don't know what it looks like, I don't know what to do, but Jesus, I need you. When was the last time that that was your heart cry? Has it been a while? Has it been never? If it's been never, then you might want to check if you're saved. See, I could tell you in my life, it's been many times that all of my being has sought him in prayer. And each and every time that my soul has gotten there, I was not disappointed. His glory filled my soul and my inner being until it felt like fire shut up in my bones, like he said with Ezekiel. I am neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, folks. But I will tell you this, if you seek God, he will show up in ways you can't imagine. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Paul writes here that there is still a veil on the hearts of the sinner toward the gospel and toward the things of God. This is why they are so resistant until they come to the place where God has prepared the ground for the work of salvation. This is also why when someone tells me, and they come to me often and they say, the Bible doesn't make sense to me, I can't understand it. The first thing I do is I find a Bible in in modern English that is a good Bible, and I give it to them and I say, try this. And if after that, and we've gone through counseling about it, and I've given them a Bible that they can understand, after that I start to ask them, are you sure that you're saved? Are you sure that you and Jesus know each other? Because he said in Matthew chapter 7, 21, Not all who say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me unto that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And I will profess unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. Because if you're not truly saved, you can't understand the scriptures properly. There's a veil on your heart. And and hearts like that can't understand what it means deep down in their bones. They don't know what that is. They've never experienced, oh, they may have a mental ascent. They may be able to quote the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But until they've given their life to Jesus Christ, they don't understand it. And they will mess it up every time. There may be a mental ascent, but not a true spiritual ascent on the inside of them. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Let's revisit that for just a moment. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin. Freedom from works-based salvation. Because you can't work your way to it. It's only through the free gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
Freedom to be in God's glory. Freedom to be transformed, to be more like Jesus day by day, from glory to glory, all by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, before I came to Christ and experienced His presence like this, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know, but now I know. Now I desire the freedom of Christ, especially when I yield my sin and temptations to God. I don't want to be bound in sin. I don't want to stay in that. I want to stay in freedom. And thank God that according to His Word, I can stay in that freedom. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The choice to be in freedom, the choice to be in the freedom of God for the Christian, that's on us. Because we have to confess our sins. That's our part. Like confessing to a crime in a court of law. But that's all we have to do is confess. And then Jesus says, it's okay, I paid that penalty. I paid that price. But more than that, he regenerates us. He makes us new. Why? Because the scripture says that he is faithful where we are faithless. Because he is just where we want to escape justice. Our sin was poured out on Christ, so he is just to transfer our sin to Christ and transfer Christ's righteousness to us. We have been justified, and that's a big churchy word, which means just if I had never sinned. We have been justified. He is faithful. He is just. What is he, is fa- what, what is he faithful and just to do? What does that mean? The scripture says to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. We get all those benefits so long as we confess our sins, dear Christian. When's the last time you've experienced God in that way? If you remember nothing today, remember this. God's glory changes us. It should change us inside and out. And it frees us from sin. It frees us from our nature. It frees us to be more like Jesus from glory to glory. God's glory changes us and frees us. A simple message, but an important one. A call. As the ladies come, a call to salvation a call to something better than what you've got right now, whether you're listening by audio or by by the video stream or you're here, a call to come to Him. It sounds good to me. Oh, it'll cost you everything. Trust me. He also said count the cost. But everything I had is nothing compared to what I'm getting. I'm getting a relationship with the God of the universe. How crazy is that? That sounds crazy to the man. But you know what? It's true. Jesus is calling. Will you answer him today? To the Christian, when was the last time that you just stopped being so busy about being busy and said, you know what, Lord? I'm going to sit right here 
whether I'm reading the Bible or whether I'm praying, I'm going to sit right here and I'm not moving like Jacob said until you bless me. Oh, you may come out with a hurt hip like Jacob did because he wrestled with God. You may come out hurt because you realize you've got to repent of some things and change some things. But it's so much better to be blessed. It's so much better to have that glory. When's the last time you've done that? Has it ever happened? Practice prayer. Prayer we use, it's a big word. It simply means I'm going to talk to Jesus and he's going to talk to me through his word. He's going to illuminate his word so that I understand it. And he's going to give me direction through it. Folks, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We used to sing a song, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus when the sun goes down. It's all about Jesus. I can't speak any more to that. If your heart doesn't crave the presence and the longing of Jesus, make sure you're saved. Make sure you're saved. If you'd like to come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it's real simple. Cry out to him. Jesus, I need you. (laughs) I'm a sinner. That's it. It's not what you say, but what's on the inside. What's on the inside. If you'd like prayer, special prayer, we're up here for that. If you'd like to join this church by letter, statement, or baptism, we can do that too. We'll get your information. Whatever you need today, we're up here to agree with you in prayer. Scripture says one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand. Jesus said, if two of you agree touching anything, it will be given unto you. Of course, that means in God's will. How about you today? Let's stand and sing the invitation. Is it a hymn or a song today? Song. It's a a hymn, but it's on the screen. Okay.